This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He is Todd Erzin and he is Aaron McIntyre. You are you. Coming up here on today's program at the bottom of the hour, Julie Kelly from American Greatness will join us. There has been some breaking news on the January 6th front, including the one and only Ray Epps and more. We will get to her about that coming up here at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, we will continue Theology Thursday about my book, A Nefarious Plot, which inspired the forthcoming movie Nefarious, which I'm hoping here, maybe even as soon as tomorrow... Uh, certainly next week, I'll be able to give you the official release date for the film, but uh, things are progressing nicely on that front. We started off with the introduction to the book a week ago. Now we'll get into the, the meat and potatoes, the nuts and bolts of the book coming up uh, in the next hour of the program. And again, reminder, don't worry, the book in no way, studying the book in no way, shape or form will spoil the film other than the, the, the fact the film uses several lines uh, and quotes from Nefarious in the book. The plot line of the book does not reveal the plot line of the film. The movie is a prequel to the book. So we won't be spoiling anything in the film for you. And Todd and Aaron, having both seen the movie, you guys can both vouch for that. We're not going to spoil it for you at all. It's like looking at a picture of, a f of food instead of eating the food. Indeed. If anything, it might add to your experience of the film because you're going to recognize a little bit more of the exposition and, and context of some of the things that are referenced or said in the movie. All right. Uh, and then we will have Aaron heads up three non-political questions. You have them? You I ready? got them. All right. Doing my job for um, doing my job. It's a winner. It's a wintry miracle. Aaron is actually prepared and doing his job. Who stopped over yesterday unannounced? Just knocked at the door in the McIntyres and woke you up. Um, Nobody. Yeah, nobody. It was a good day. No one would dare do so. Yeah. Indeed. That's that's the right answer. So with all that. Uh, <laughs> With all that announced and set up, let us begin with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the first rule of gain of function is nobody knows what it is. But seemingly everybody knows what it's not. Here's Anthony Fauci just last summer. Or definition that you guys wrote. It says that scientific research that increases the transmissibility among mammals is gain of function. Manimal. They took animal viruses that only occur in animals and they increased their transmissibility to humans. How you can say that is not gain of function? It is not. And now this, Project Veritas is back with another bombshell. All they do is bombshells. This time, undercover recording what amounts to Pfizer's head of research and development on mRNA technology. Pfizer ultimately is thinking about mutating COVID? 
Well, that's not what we say to the public. No. Don't tell anyone this story. You probably shouldn't tell anyone. You probably shouldn't tell anyone. We're exploring, like, no. You know how the virus keeps mutating? Yeah. Well, one of the things we're exploring is, like, why don't we just mutate it ourselves so we can predictably develop new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. If we're going to do that, though, there's a risk of, like, as you could imagine, no one wants to be having a pharma company mutating fucking viruses. <laughs> be, like, very controlled to make sure that this virus that you mutate doesn't create something like, you know, goes everywhere. Something crazy. Is the way that the virus started and moving on. To be honest, like, it's, it makes no sense if this virus popped out of nowhere. Like, yeah, I know. Meet Jordan Tristan Walker, a director of research and development strategic operations and mRNA scientific planning at Pfizer. It sounds like gain of function to me. I don't know, it's a little bit different. I think it's different. It's like this. It's definitely not gain of function. It sounds like it is. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. So directed evolution is very different. Yeah. Well, you're not supposed to do gain of function research of the viruses. Like, yeah. They recommend not. But you do, like, these, like, selected directional mutations to try to see if you can make more potent. Yeah. So there, there is research I'm learning about that. I don't know how that's going to work. There not be any more outbreaks. Just like... And then there's this. A new piece at the Washington Examiner this week explores the end of the Obama administration and how Obama greenlit the resumption of gain-of-function research after he had previously imposed a moratorium on such research back in 2014 after fearing for its dangers. The Examiner details how on January 9th of 2017, just 11 days before Donald Trump's inauguration, the White House Office of Science and Technology came up with a new review process for how the United States would fund research on things like viruses. They dubbed this the Potential Pandemic Pathogen Care and Oversight, or P3CO. Essentially, what the P3CO framework does is allow for gain-of-function research without actually calling it gain-of-function. Essentially, the Obama administration left the White House with a poison pill for Donald Trump, who apparently elected not to resume the moratorium on such risky research. And then there's this story from the New York Times, published just yesterday. National Institutes of Health did not properly track a group studying coronaviruses, report finds. The group the Times is referring to here is the infamous EcoHealth Alliance, headed up by Peter Daszak, a fierce proponent of gain-of-function research. Moving on, it's now time on the montage to bow to our new president, professional green shirt Vladimir Zelensky, who just this week made one small request of our great benevolent country and its corporations. It is obvious that American business can become the locomotive that will once again push forward global economic growth. We have already managed to attract attention and have cooperation with such giants of the international financial and investment world as BlackRock, JP Morgan and Golden Sachs, such American brands as Starling or Westinghouse have already become part of our Ukrainian way. Your brilliant defense systems such as HIMARS or Bradley's are already uniting our history of freedom with your enterprises. We are waiting for Patriots. We are looking closely at Abrams. Thousands of such examples are possible. And yesterday, like a well-trained dog, Joe Biden and the Pentagon quickly obliged, announcing they're sending 31 Abrams M1 tanks 
to Ukraine. Meta, the company that owns Facebook and Instagram, announced yesterday they're allowing Donald Trump back on their platforms. It's unclear whether Trump will oblige. And finally, some good news. Legislators in North Dakota have introduced a bill banning all mRNA products from being administered in the state. If you're living in a red state, this should be the low bar for your state legislature. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at StartMail. Are you tired of feeling like your personal data is at risk or worried that big tech is watching every move you now make? And you're probably right about that, Mr. Rockwell. Uh, that's why if you don't want anyone else to know where you've been, who you've met, and what you're thinking, StartMail, S-T-A-R-T. StartMail is the perfect solution for protecting your privacy and giving you peace of mind. Their secure email service keeps your inbox safe from unwanted spying, prying eyes and protects you from spam at the exact same time, you get unlimited disposable email aliases to keep your real identity hidden. And with just a few clicks, you can easily switch from your existing email provider and start taking advantage of Start Mail's enhanced privacy protection. Sign up today. Save 50% when you do. Save 50% on your first subscription year right now. Never been a better time to go to startmail.com slash Steve. S-T-A-R-T for startmail.com slash Steve. Startmail.com slash Steve. Save 50% on your first subscription year. Coming up today in the overtime, this is going to be one of the most voted upon Twitter polls we've ever done. I asked yesterday... Uh, our Twitter following, if Trump refuses to admit the truth about the poisonous jabs and the failure of Operation Warp Speed, would that cause you to not support him for the 2024 presidential nomination? Over 12,700 people voted in this in the last 36 hours. That's a lot of people. 76% said yes it would cause us to not support him in the 2024 primary. 24% said no. We will discuss those results that just went final at the top of the hour coming up in our overtime today, which we will record right after today's program uh, for Blaze TV subscribers. We will upload it at blazetv.com slash dace. That's where you can watch it later today. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber and you would like to become one, that's also where you can go to make that happen for just $10 a month. BlazeTV.com slash Dace. Two things that I think are vitally important from the Project Veritas video. Two things that are, are vitally important. Well, let me rephrase. There's about 70 things. 666 vitally there important things out of that out of that Project Veritas video, okay? But we don't have time with the time that is allotted to us to cover all 666 of them. So let me focus on two and then we'll get Todd and Aaron's take on these two and maybe they've got another couple that they think we should fo we should focus on. Number 1. This is a tipping point in my view. What do I mean by a tipping point? We've, we've had about 20 tipping points. But in terms of a lack of excuse for not covering this issue, this is a tipping point now. And I'm a consumer. I don't have the time to consume as much of it as many of you do because I'm also on the, the content producer side. But... I'm a consumer of this content. 
before I got on the producer side, like a lot of you, I consumed it in, in bunches daily. Only difference between me and you is someone, you know, many years ago got a dumb idea to put me on the other side of the microphone and many have regretted it ever since. <laughs> all right. But in all seriousness, this is a tipping point now. I, I don't know if we'll get something even clearer, but this is pretty close to the tomb is empty kind of stuff when it comes to this story. If you are following a, an outlet or a conservative outlet or celebrity or host or news source that has not covered this in the next few days, you should stop. At that point, they, they probably are beyond hope, cannot be reached, can't be relied upon. And, and, and all the stuff, the other stuff that you think they might be good on, chances are the people who do get this and its importance are probably also really good on that other stuff too. They have, they have told you. They are really, in the end, no use to you. I don't care if they work at this outlet or others. I don't care. People are dying. Week three in Scotland, it was 14% the first two weeks. Now excess deaths in Scotland for week three are up to 19.5%. Told you the other day, they're having a 9-11 in the UK every day this week. 3,000 excess deaths on average a week. London Daily Mail published a study 20 or 48 hours ago, at least 300 non-COVID excess deaths traced back to lockdowns in 2020. At least 300,000 in the U.S. Rasmussen poll, 7% say they've had a, quote, major adverse reaction to the jab. CDC's own data, which they don't want you to see, points to that number almost exactly. I think it's like 7.6 or 7. I pointed out to you that according to CDC's own data and that Rasmussen poll, that's over 12 million Americans, over 330 people worldwide. That would be the fourth largest nation on earth behind China, India, and the United States. I pointed out to you 233% more likely that you would suffer a serious adverse event from the jab than be hospitalized with COVID. 1,067% more likely that you would suffer a serious adverse event from the jab than die of COVID. By the way, all the stuff that I just mentioned to you has just come out in like this last week, guys. It's just come out in just this last week. Maybe 10 days. No more excuses. I don't care if they work for this outlet or others. If they're ignoring this, they are enablers of people dying. Period. I don't know how to more plainly say it. Literally, life or death is at stake. Literally. Literally. 
You want to know what trumps? This is the most important election of our lifetimes. You want to know what friggin' trumps that? 25-year-old Detroit Lions player died suddenly like an hour ago. A 9-11 in the UK every day. Updated death numbers from my home state of Iowa. Now through November of last year, total excess deaths up 9.5% from the pre-COVID years. While COVID deaths have plummeted. Remember, COVID deaths in America in the fourth quarter, the advent of respiratory virus season. We're 72% lower than they were in the fourth quarter of 2021. As excess deaths climb. Why? If you're not talking about this, you are literally killing your audience. I can't. Can I put it any plainer than that? You cannot. Just grab the syringe and inject them yourself at this point. We charge people with obstruction of justice when they are witnesses to crimes and refuse to report. Do we not? Is that not a crime? Hell yeah, it is. That's you. That is you. And I don't care how many damn books you sold before. I don't care how many times you're on Fox. I don't care how many damn stations you're on. I'm talking about you. Come get some. I'm talking about you. How many more deaths? How much more do we need to see? How many more times? How much more? Because I guarantee you, the people on our side that are still silent about this, have I guarantee I have used Project Veritas videos in the past for their programs. I promise you they have for their as a launching point for their content. I promise you they have. Project Veritas is one of the most important platforms we have in alternative media, period. The right or anywhere. Going back to what they did to Acorn, remember those days? Oh, yeah. So I promise you they used all the acorn videos. I promised you they used all the teacher videos and everything else that this site has, has put out for us to expose the truth in the past. If they suddenly now, Project Veritas might as well change its name to Switzerland. What is it? I don't know what a Project Veritas is. Never heard of it. Except for all the damn times I played their videos on my show and reacted to them for you. Now suddenly I can't find a Project Veritas on a map. Like Switzerland just disappeared. Or I'm sorry, Sweden. Where's this Sweden country at? We heard so much about that now suddenly no one knows where it is. Rectum barely know them. What's a Sweden? What's a, what's a Project Veritas? No. This has to stop. Has to stop. We have to stop supporting people who will not make it Stop. You can't drain the swamp in Washington, D.C. You can sure as hell drain the swamp on the iTunes podcast chart. That you can do. Kick the dust off your sandals and move the hell on. Whatever you're getting from these people or God in the past, you can get from the people who know what time it is. Find me the person on the right who's like, 
you know, I really think the deficit's too high. Or the deficit isn't high enough, but I'm really good on the jabs. Does that person exist, do you think? (laughs) No! You're not getting anything from these people. And they won't be there for you when you need them the most. They've made their money. They're whitewashed tombs. Move on. That's a tipping point for information sources in America is to watch now who reacts and does not in the aftermath and the wake of that video from Project Veritas. Don't you dare play their videos in the past and not play this one. Don't you dare have James O'Keefe on your show in the past and then act like you don't know who he is now. Don't you dare. And if they do, don't those of you within the sound of my voice dare support or patronage those people ever again. They have made it very clear to you there is something more important to them than whether or not you and I die. So you kick the dust off your sandals and move the hell on. Here's the other tipping point. One of the great mysteries here that we have not been able to solve going back to when we published Fauci and Bargain is when did gain-of-function research resume? In 2014, the Obama administration put a moratorium on it. About a year ago at this time, if you go back into our archives on this show, we played excerpts for you of a, con- of a conference that took place in Germany shortly after the Obama administration issued the moratorium on gain-of-function with a bunch of leading virologists and friendly journalists gathered around the world in Germany to essentially conspire together on how to circumvent that regulation. You guys remember we played those videos or played those that audio on the show and reacted to sure, it yeah. about a year ago at this time. I think it was last January, last February. The timetable seems to indicate that shortly before or after Donald Trump took office, gain of function resumed again in Wuhan, China. Why? How? What's the smoking gun? It appears we have that information based on what was in Aaron's montage. And this is what happens with no good deed goes unpunished. I simply reported to you that Barack Obama issued a moratorium on it in 2014. That is true. He was right to do so, correct? Yeah. So you try to be honest. You try to be an honest broker and even give people that you literally think are emissaries from the bowels of hell credit when they land on the right thing every now and then. Because that's what our worldview commands us to do from an integrity standpoint is to be on the side of truth no matter who the wielder is or whether you like them or not. Right? Correct. Correct. Sometimes, though, man, the reverb on that son of a gun is a doozy, right? Because now it turns out he was the one who actually lifted his own moratorium based on this information. He actually issued Order 66. He actually did. Yeah, he did. Now, we're still left with, and Aaron mentioned this in his montage, why was this not discovered and reissued in the Trump in the days of the Trump administration to stop this from occurring? Maybe didn't even know, would be my guess. I would guess Donald Trump heard the term gain of function sometime around January or February of 2020 for the entire first time in his life. And so would many of us, frankly. What you also see in that video is something we read, we mentioned in Fauci and Bargain. Lots of people now want to talk about gain-of-function research. Gain-of-function research is bad. Don't get me wrong. But how do you make it even worse? What is the aim of the gain-of-function research itself? To gain function? <laughs> right. To what end, though? 
to what specific outcome? If I drop an atom bomb on Bikini Island before I fully, even if I, even if I desert the island before I drop it, I really don't know with this sort of technology what the long-term ramifications of it really truly will be, right? What it'll do long time to an ecosystem, what it'll do long-term in terms of when it gets caught up in the air current, where will it go? How far will it travel before it dissipates? I don't really know, right? And so gain of function is done to sort of figure that out. What happens if I purposefully put human beings in the blast radius to measure, though, on top of that gain-of-function research? What happens if I purposefully put human beings in the blast radius because I specifically want to see what the atomic radiation does to human beings? Well, now I went from reckless to a friggin' war criminal, right? Now I've committed crimes against humanity, right? I have violated every codicil of the Nuremberg Code, correct? Yes. That's what they did! It wasn't just that they were doing gain-of-function research. In their, in their own paperwork, which we did document in Fauci and Bargain, and we left the story there because we had no, there was no other evidence at the time of publishing other than that sort of breadcrumb leading to where we are now. In their own documentation, it claims specifically they were seeking to gauge what they called, quote, spillover potential. That's the exact phraseology they used. What do you mean spillover potential? They specifically wanted to know what would cause bat coronaviruses to spill over into human beings. They specifically gain a function for that. They didn't just gain a function to measure the functionality of a coronavirus. They were specifically prodding it to spill over into something that would infect human beings. In other words, they didn't just drop an atom bomb on Bikini Island. They put humans in the blast radius to find out what the radiation would do. They did that. That's what they did. Your, de- your Department of Defense, by the way, in the fourth quarter of last year, gave EcoHealth Alliance about 30-some-odd million dollars in grants. Did you know that? The people that likely created the virus or had a major hand in it. But you go back to your favorite conservative host to debate the damn debt ceiling. I got a ceiling for you. How about the light ceiling on my life expectancy and yours? How's that for a ceiling? Because if you took this jab, you ought to be measuring your debt ceiling on your life expectancy right about now. I would if I were you. There's a debt ceiling for you. My life expectancy. Here's a ceiling we're blowing through the roof on. Excess deaths. No ceiling on those, apparently. What ceiling, would we, what ceiling would we reach before more people with far more prominent platforms than mine might be a tad interested in this? Maybe. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Uh, you'll recall the movie The Big Short about the yeah. housing bubble popping, and I found the movie to be outstanding. It, exceeded all my expectations and it's it's basically the, the the real life characters that are portrayed there they're just stupefied they can't believe how dumb all this is the inevitability of it popping and watching uh the project veritas video i'm reminded of the big short it's it's not like woodward and bernstein deep throat hushed voices serious people talking about it's i mean my gosh it, 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 you're talking with that guy 
you if you didn't have listen to what he was talking about if the sound wasn't on you'd be wondering if he was debating whether he's gonna color his his next room uh, renovation in mauve or chartreuse He's giggling about all this the whole time. This is not, it's the most, as Steve just got done telling you for 20 minutes, this is as serious as anything has ever been in this history, if not the world, in terms of a government cover-up with life and death on the line. And nobody's serious about it. No, I, it, it, it the punchlines are everywhere. I, I, and that's starting with when you punch your chest because you feel like something went wrong. Indeed. You know what? For Valentine's Day, here's what 85% of American adults are going to get because that's how many took this jab. For Valentine's Day, you're going to get a bigger heart than you ever have before. Maybe your favorite alternative media, conservative media host could maybe have a heart himself or herself and give a damn for once. I mean, that guy, he's not just the comms guy. Or something like that. That's the director of research and development for Pfizer? Like, who did... Was was another cast member from Queer Eye for the State guy not available? What is going on? All I know is if you're Pfizer or Moderna or maybe the national... Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases or the National Institutes of Health and you have high level or even director level uh, homosexual men in those positions Project Veritas has an increasing number of male honeypots so that's kind of a liability for y'all have you noticed that as well that's kind of a side or tangential note but I've I've noticed that as well um, it is like that scene when um, Steve Carell's character in the big yeah, short that's it. has dinner with one of the architects, basically, of the housing bubble. He has a nice steak dinner, he's smiling. He knows what he's doing. And he knows that the bank is too big to fail. And he has he's going to go home and sleep well at night, knowing that he's just going to be bailed out by this. The guy in the Pfizer video mm-hmm. knows he's just going to go home and sleep well because there's nobody stopping him. They didn't stop this in the damn intra- uh, government. They didn't stop this in the government. How are they going to stop this in the private sector? He knows that. They know that. Here's what will stop this. Can you get a picture of this over here, a close-up of this? Right here. That piece of rope right there? That'll stop it. After a fair trial, of course. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. If you are looking uh, to keep your New Year's resolutions going, let me give you a secret, okay? Um, To what's worked for me over the years, don't have them. Uh, Have different lifestyle habits instead. 
right? The give up, try harder cycle just does not work. That's why so many people tell you stuff like, ah, I went, Weight Watchers worked for me all seven times. I tried it. Yeah. Okay. No. You want to, you want to change a lifestyle. And if, if you've got a prodigious sweet tooth as I do, you need worthy substitutes. How about even potential upgrades? like our friends over at Built Bar, with the greatest protein bar that has ever been made. It's got all the protein you need. Collagen protein as well. It really helps with your macros, keeps your sugar under control. It's not loaded with sugar. You won't believe how good these are. All of them covered in real chocolate, not loaded and packed, though, with sugars, carbs, and calories. It's almost too good to believe. That's why when I first heard about them, I didn't. Okay? Some of you may be shocked to hear I'm a bit of the skeptical type. So I bought a box out of spite... And it was love at first bite. And I have been smitten ever since I have bought box after box after box after box, which is why I would recommend you do the same. So many great flavors to choose from right now when you go to Built.com for Built Bar and use my last name, Dace, as your promo code. You get 15% off when you do at checkout. Promo code Dace at checkout for 15% off for Built Bar at Built.com. We welcome back to the program, good friend of the show, Julie Kelly from American Greatness. Good to see you again, Julie. How you been? Good. How are you, Steve? Thanks I, for having me on. Thank you very much. I am better than I deserve. We had some interesting uh, video news has broken on the January 6th front. We were already going to have you on, and then there's video that I saw you post about this morning, some body cam footage. There is footage I saw last night involving the uh, continually infamous Ray Epps. Where do you want to begin? Let's start with those two videos. Um, so what it looked like, and these two videos, I believe, are uh, a gateway pundit, is that the government shockingly doctored some video to uh, to edit out Ray Epps um, from this video that was used as evidence. Um, I haven't had a chance to see it yet. I just saw some of the coverage of it, so I'll be looking at that. But more importantly, Steve, the video that is coming out um, and that we've been reporting on really since the spring of 2021, but we have a whole lot more video now, is police brutality at a level that against political protesters at a level and a degree that I don't think this country has seen since the civil rights movement. This was a mass incident of police brutality against Trump supporters inside and outside the building that lasted for hours. What came out today is new open source video uh, that shows Roseanne Boyland, who is one of four Trump supporters who died that day. Um, people trying to resuscitate her. She clearly was already dead. She had blood coming out of her nose. She was pale white. Um, and this was a result not of a drug overdose, which is what the DC coroner said, but what we've been reporting, eyewitnesses have said in other video shows that she died as a result of excessive force by DC and Capitol Police uh, near and inside that West Lower Terrace Tunnel late that afternoon. Now the timing is important because by the time that they were using such excessive levels of force against people uh, inside this tunnel, Steve, the building was empty. Congress had been evacuated two hours before. It's not exactly clear how these people got into this tunnel. I've seen video that shows people luring them in. They were kind of following police officers who were retreating into this tunnel. 
But the bottom line is Roseanne Boylan was very likely asphyxiated by extremely toxic, dangerous chemical spray that police used starting at one o'clock that afternoon, then pushing protesters with their bodies and riot shields on top of each other, where she was then basically trampled. And then as people tried to resuscitate her, dragging her body to police, law enforcement officials, first responders begging for help, continuing to perform CPR. It looks like a DC Metro police officer beat her, her lifeless body outside of this tunnel before police dragged her like an animal through the tunnel inside the building, tried to resuscitate her for 48 minutes. She was declared dead at 6.09 on January 6th. But these were insurrectionists. Julie, and they had to be subdued. And you can't blame these heroic peace officers for for their overzealousness to defend uh, this uh, country against such uh, a violent and armed attempt to overthrow it. Um, and you, I mean, extremism in the defense of American sovereignty is no vice, Julie. At least, you know, you know, that will be the narrative in response, obviously. It absolutely is. I mean, you can see the excuses already being made. Well, of course, these insurrectionists were trying to hang Mike Pence. They were calling for Nancy Pelosi's head. So of course they can beat women over the head with a metal baton and they can shove people off of balconies and they can douse them with chemical spray. They even, the video that I had up last week, you had one DC Metro officer and they were so incompetent, Steve, uh, with the use of these munitions, which most of them had no experience using. One officer misfires a 40 millimeter canister of this highly toxic spray. He poisons his own officers. (laughs) You see dozens of them retreating from this line on the Western side of the Capitol building, uh, uh, like around 215, 225 that day. And they retreated because they've been injured by their own officers with this chemical spray. So, but you're right, that's the excuse. Well, this is different. You know, we, we wouldn't have allowed this during the BLM riots. Of course, when this sort of thing happened in Lafayette Park, there was a congressional investigation into police. No one was hauled off to a special prison for two years awaiting trial for assaulting police officers. But look, this is, and we've talked about this, I've reported this for almost two years. This is one of the most underreported angles of January 6th, the the depth and breadth of police brutality against uh, American citizens. Really shocking. About two weeks ago on this show, we spoke live on the program with, um, with a January 6th prisoner. And I'm trying to remember the gentleman's name. Todd, do you remember his Jake? name? Jake Lang. Jacob Lang. Thank you. Jacob Lang. And boy, howdy. What's been interesting is in, I I didn't, I just let him tell his story, you know, Uh, and he admitted that he did engage in violence against police officers. The question was, was it in his own self-defense in the defense of, uh, of the woman in question, or was it a valid action uh, on his part or not? I didn't take a side. I just let him tell his story, let the audience hear what uh, he had to say for themselves. Shortly thereafter, now stop and think about all the stuff people like you and I have worked on where COVID is concerned for the last couple of years. All the, all the sacred cows we have skewered, all the things we've exposed and pointed out, okay? I finally got the attention of one of these dweeb fact-checking agencies they send, they send me an email like 48 hours after I interview this guy 
clearly that was the that was the 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 line of demarcation I was not permitted to cross was to let mm-hmm. one of these January 6thers on the show to tell their own story. Now, Sanballat and Tobiah keep sending me emails and like Nehemiah, I won't respond because it would be doing them a favor by me ignoring them. I'm doing them a favor actually. But but that showed me, wow. Given some of the areas I've gone with this show for the last couple of years, to finally get these people's attention, the fourth rail here was this issue. That's what actually put me on their radar to confront me. What does that tell you? Right. It tells you that this is a massive cover-up and that anybody who's trying to expose it uh, will be warned. Um, And so the fact is that you have men who tried to help and save Roseanne Boyland, who had been in pretrial detention for uh, 24, 18 months awaiting trial because the government does not want anything related to Roseanne Boyland to go to trial. We already see what's coming out of this body cam footage I posted, how they dragged her through that tunnel like an animal. Um, But they do not want a full vetting of what happened to Roseanne Boylan. They don't want their star celebrity cops like Carrie Dunn and uh, um, Aquilina Ganell, who admitted under oath that they handled her body after she died inside the crypt. Well, let's see the video. Mm -hmm. Let's if we're going to get to the truth of January 6th that we were told the January 6th committee was going to do, um, then this is a huge piece of it. And the death of four Trump supporters and the injuries sustained by dozens more uh, really needs finally a full vetting. And this is not backing the blue. This is not, you know, these these thugs were their stormtroopers. Nancy Pelosi, Muriel Bowser, D.C. Mayor stormtroopers. They looked like stormtroopers and they acted like them. Covered head to toe, in full riot gear, helmets, gas masks, face shields, eye goggles, gloves, tactical ballistic vests under their uniforms. You couldn't even tell these people were human. And most of them did not act human that day either. So who is who is Ray Epps? What did the transcripts of the January 6th committee, you know, their non at the time non-disclosed interview with him that the transcripts now reveal? Is, is he you and I both have seen plenty of evidence in our in our industry or movement of fixation on shiny objects that distract from the main point, but are low lying fruit for clicks. Is Ray Epps that or is he something more based on your research, Julie? That's a good question. Um, I think for a lot of people, Ray Epps is just representative of their suspicions that there were other people, agitators, provocateurs who were involved in January 6th to lure this crowd into a trap, which of course is true. So I think the questions around Ray Epps and the fact that you had people like Adam Kinzinger and the entire January 6th committee and reporters who consider anyone remotely involved in the events of January 6th, a domestic terrorist, a traitor, an insurrectionist, all of a sudden they're coming to his defense. It made no sense. What his transcript shows, he does say numerous times that he did not work for any federal agency. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean he wasn't working for some other agency or party uh, or interest group. But his story just doesn't add up. Like he just randomly goes there with his son. He wants to protect his son. Then he ends up January 5th, like near uh, where the Proud Boys were. And he was there to like, I guess, try to keep things simmered down. Well, I mean, he's an older guy. It's it's amazing. It's amazing this aging boomer was able to navigate these massive throngs of crowds to just happen to be in all these strategic places. It's frankly, have we considered making him, you know, uh, national navigator, uh, national 
personal <laughs> crowd manager. I mean, it's amazing that he was able to to put himself in those those positions just by pure happenstance, Julie. Well, he also admitted, which I thought was the most in, uh, informative, is that he was on restricted grounds for over an hour. And this is where many people face trespassing charges. Um, you have a man, Thomas Caldwell, who was an allegedly an oath keeper, um, and his, he was charged with seditious conspiracy. He never went inside the building, but the government has all these texts and posts on social media about storming the Capitol or, you know, I'm going to go do this, do that. He didn't go inside. But yet he was held under pretrial detention for almost two months. His life has been destroyed. He was on trial for seditious conspiracy. He never went inside the building. But here you have Ray Epps, who was doing far more on that day and the night before, still not facing any charges. His story just doesn't add up. And the fact that the DOJ and FBI are still arresting people, trespassers, to mm -hmm. this day, and Ray Epps is still uncharged, um, I think just bolsters people's belief there's a lot more to January 6th than, uh, than what we initially were led to believe. So to that end, final question here, I got about two minutes. Where does this story go next? Now, we have a changeover in Congress. We have a committee formed, a subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government. And um, while there's a couple of stinkers on that committee, there are several people that people like you and me would typically like. All right. So, yes. so where, does this, where does this story go next, would you think? Well, the story has to tell itself. And how does the story tell itself with the surveillance video being released that has been under protective orders now for two years that um, Kevin McCarthy has himself said that he wants released? Get all the body cam footage that we're getting dribs and drabs of during these trials. Um, find out what happened to the pipe bomber. Force the FBI to at least publicly come out. They're not going to give any documents, but at least have Christopher Ray and Stephen D'Antuano, who is head of the Washington field office, who just coincidentally retired at the end of last November, and force them to say, explain two things: why the FBI obviously had intelligence that said that something was going to happen that day. Why weren't they working with their law enforcement partners to protect the Capitol and Capitol grounds and people who were there? And number two, how many exactly, how many fed, uh, federal informants, FBI informants, and undercover agents were involved? We already know, Steve, that there were FBI informants embedded in the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers months before January 6th. What mm. were they doing? Mm -hmm. And either they did one of two things that they did in Whitmer, which was provoke conversations and stoke conversations and, uh, you know, lure these people and cite what happened on January 6th, or they're the most incompetent informants you could possibly find. Which is it? Hmm. Her profile has really blown up the last couple of years very deservedly because she has done a lot of incredible work over the last couple of years. Julie Kelly from American Greatness. Thank you, Julie. Good to see you as always. You guys too. Thanks, Steve. You bet. So, gentlemen, we started the first segment of the show talking about directed evolution. We were just talking with Julie about directed revolution. Your thoughts? <laughs> well, this is why I'm concerned, uh, as I predicted last week, that with the recent arrest just last week of th of three Marines whose crime is they were caught on camera walking in and they put a mega hat somewhere. Uh, th th is, are we, is this just the beginning? Are, are, are the, are the people who have already languished in jail for nearly two years, uh, the, the tip of the iceberg. I, I, I predicted that in the next two years, uh, until the next election, because it's an electoral tactic, mm -hmm. the process is the punishment for all of us that we may see more people arrested 
in the future than have already been arrested up to this point. How many roadblocks have been, this is to her point about why we need what we still need. We haven't come in, there's just, due process simply has not existed up until this point in most cases. Because we're not a nation of laws. Or no, we, we are not. Been. We're a nation of political will. And we always will be. We see each of our three axioms at play in this story. What's the benign, innocent explanation for fill in the blank? Maybe this entire thing. Mm-hmm. I thought of this uh, a couple of times when, when Julie was talking about the police officers who fired gas that poisoned their own guys. That's Todd's razor, Erzin's razor. It's just stupid, bro. The entire thing is my razor, Aaron's razor. It's just demonic, bro. But your question, Steve, that drives or has driven me nuts, what's the benign, innocent explanation? Mm-hmm really hit home to me and i think i finally have the answer whatever you think the answer is it's always worse it's always worse and that really hit home talking about those police officers one they were so dumb they poisoned their own guy before you know i own guys (laughs) before beating to death the insurrectionists but these very same officers maybe not the same exact one but the same police force they were the ones investigated during the black lives matter riots not the rioters themselves. You can't make this stuff up. Whatever you think the answer is, whatever you think the narrative is, it's always, always worse. Sounds like a rather nefarious plot to me, which we will discuss more in depth next. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. back here with Hour 2 here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Steve Dace here with Totters and Aaron McIntyre and all of you. And all of you, though hopefully not all at once, can let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter. Uh, Getter, Instagram, and TikTok. And then you can also find me on Truth Social over at Real Steve Dace there, at Real Steve Dace on Truth Social. Don't forget, you can also, if you like the program, leave us a five-star review, hit subscribe or follow on the podcast platform of your choice. And we thank all of you for doing that for us and uh, hope if you've not yet had a chance to do so that you might consider it uh, because it does give the program a much needed boost as well as our egos. They always could use boosting or not. So thank you to each and every one of you that have done that for us already. Uh, This part of the show, Theology Thursday, brought to you by Relief Band. You know, sometimes it's just not worth it to go cheap on the uh, cheap alternative. So if you struggle with nausea, uh, you would do whatever you could uh, to try to feel normal again. And it's, you know, using pills that could make you drowsy, uh, cheap sweatbands that just press on your wrist that don't work. That's why you want to talk about and check and check out Relief Band. They've got an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating over 100,000 satisfied customers. 
Now you can use HSA or FSA dollars to get relief band as well. So if you want to prevent nausea or vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemo, so much more, check out relief band right now. They've got an exclusive offer just for our audience. If you go to reliefband.com, that's reliefband.com. Use the promo code Steve and you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping if you do that. 20% off plus Plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30 day money back guarantee if you're unsatisfied. So 30 day money back guarantee, 20% off free shipping. Can't beat that offer. Just go to reliefband, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, reliefband.com, reliefband.com and use the promo code Steve. The bottom of the hour, we will get into three non-political questions. But we continue on with Theology Thursday, looking back on and leading up to the uh, the, my book, A Nefarious Plot, and leading up to the release of the movie that it inspired here later this spring. Last week, we let Nefarious speak for himself via yours truly. We just read the introduction because it it packs enough of a wallop that's fairly self-explanatory. Now Nefarious is going to get into the details. Starting with chapter one, why you? What is it about the United States of America that was worthy of his individual time for so much time in order to take it down? That's the conversation we're going to have today in that chapter. Todd, I'll let you begin. Well, it wasn't enough uh, that the kind of mob tactics that took down other uh, many a great uh, empire relied. You you stress or nefarious stresses uh, that the the skeleton of liberty that it had been put in place. Uh, it it, it, it I don't think you use the word in there, but it, it's it's beginning to uh, the the notions of subsidiarity are taking shape. The proper spheres at the proper level, church. Uh, state, local, federal order. In other words, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that that schema is something that was a yo uh, moment uh, for the forces of hell. So much so at the beginning, it was so w- before it had any degree of sustainability. Immediately, it was so unique that the forces of hell had to send down recon forces to mm-hmm. just kind of figure out what was going on and they realize that there's nothing we've seen these people before there's nothing special they don't mm-hmm. have superpowers but that that framework that structure was something i mean again the comparison is like you know there's there's the carpenter uh there was saint paul i, I think you referenced augustine and then like mm-hmm. space bar space and then there's America. And other than that, we kind of like, we were pretty ego driven. We were feeling pretty good at ourselves and maybe that we would never see anything like this. And then all of a sudden this pops up. Why was this so threatening? One of the things, you know, and I mentioned this, I think on yesterday's show that there's a, there's a strand of Christian conservatism that correlates America almost to like a new Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't agree with that. Um, I think that, that Israel um, is a one and only. Um, however, 
there is there is the idea of America being a new Israel. And then there's an idea of America being as a as an idea being inspired by what what Israel revealed to the world as a light to other nations. And this was, if Israel became a a special people because they were hand chosen by God, what the people who founded this country wanted was to see if they could forge an exceptional nation because it was a nation that sought after God. There, this was a, a the, the 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 generation that founded the country came after the Magna Carta, after the Reformation, after the Enlightenment. Christian teaching, thought, Scripture, had was had had been more abundantly available in the world than at any point in time in history, including in the West. There was more of a biblical worldview that permeated the people than at any other point in time in all of human history at the time that the country was, was, was being forged and founded. So the idea that the idea that a country, remember the first people that came here were the Puritans, right? And what was, what, what did they write in the Mayflower Compact? They came here for the, for the glory uh, for the or for the establishment and advancement of the Christian religion, they they specifically thought now as spirit filled believers with the the knowledge of the scriptures that they could live out as best as you could east of Eden some foreshadowing of the kingdom of God. It would be a it would it would be not the full fullness of it, um, but that it would that it would be some taste of life in heaven or the narrow road here that old that, meaning that we're not perfect we don't we don't have glorified bodies if you know christian teaching we're not sinless but but we would start here east of eden with recognizing that our ultimate purpose in being made in the image of god is to glorify god that is our ultimate purpose and so therefore relationships would be forged and incentivized based on do they glorify god or not laws would be created and incentivized based on would they glorify god or not we're still sinners you know they had to come they, they had to by the grace of god the puritans had to overcome their total depravity too the founding fathers did too I don't, I probably some of them didn't and, and have been, and have lived in eternity separated from God, dead in their sins forever as a result. Okay. But, but Christianity had so permeated the West and revitalized it by this point in time, the utopian, the utopian impulses in the Western world at that time were all our own. It's the opposite of what exists today. Who has utopian visions of society today? Is it the biblical worldview or the spirit of the ages worldview? Spirit of the age. Yes. And so therefore, follow me here, because they're the ones that have the utopian visions today. What are our laws based on? Glorifying God or glorifying the spirit of the age? The latter. The latter. What relationships do we incentivize and promote? Those that glorify God 
or the spirit of the age. The latter. See what I'm saying? Yeah. The paradigm has been flipped now in our period of time. All right. All, all of the notions of we can make things better. We can be freer. We can have more liberty and education. Um, all of those notions now of, of high mindedness and lifting society out of primitive impulses uh, all belong to them. And, and they're the driver now of, the, of all the metas. They drive all the metas. They're in control of all the institutions. We're, we're constantly reacting to them. We're, we're looking, we're, we're fighting for conscience clauses while they are literally just taking ground, right? We're, we're the people, we're like at this point hoping Muhammad will let us, or in Saladin will offer us the jizya just so we can live in these little red counties and little red states and have some form of our way of life while out here, you know, the Islamic hordes or the spirit of the age hordes with their information scimitars, curved swords are just lopping off heads and taking ground and, 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 and hearts and minds. 300, 400 years ago, our worldview was the one doing that in this part of the world. So the idea that you could create a society, not a, not a Christian society, but that you could create a society inspired by Christianity, given the hope that it provides, was an accessible thought. The question was whether it was achievable or not. And that's what the American Revolution sought to determine. That's why the Declaration of Independence is written the way that it is. All right. We seek divine providence. We, we appeal to the, to, the, to the divine ruler of the universe for the, for the supreme ruler of the universe for the rectitude of our actions, our motivations, are our motivations righteous. Okay. Is this achievable? Could we establish a foundation of a society based in these principles? So that in our own way, we're not, we're not really in covenant with God. We're not really a covenantal land. We're not really Israel. Okay. But, but we'd like to get a little piece of that action, seeing how it worked out for them. You know what I'm saying? You know, so can we in our own civic realm and in our own way, you know, if we print Geneva Bibles and send them out throughout the country, if we allow the church to live tax-free and speech-free, um, in, uh, completely beyond the scope and jurisdiction of government to hold human nature accountable. Can these things be possible? Do we always have to follow the same arc of history, right? Conquer or be conquered, prison or be in prison, slaved or be enslaved. C can we break that cycle? Is there a way to break it outside of the direct theocratic action that God took with Israel? Is there another way to break that arc of history? And the people that founded this country forged it, thought the answer could potentially be yes. They bet on that. And that led to the country that they founded. And that's why you see so much biblical imagery and language all over the founding and all over the relics and history of this nation, because they were trying to tap into that zeitgeist. They were trying to, to basically, you know, like in NASCAR, where you're coasting off the fumes of the car ahead of you. Okay. That's essentially what they were trying to do. And and for 200 years, despite its, 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 its issues, its imperfections, for 200 plus years, it spawned the greatest single, that desire, that desire spawned the greatest nation in the history of the world. And that's what he is referring to, is enough people that either are converted by Christianity or influenced by it intellectually. 
Great example. Who is the Jewish author, the non-Messianic Jewish author? Yo, uh, was it Harani or something was his name we had on late last year? Do you guys remember this? And he was calling for more, oh, yeah. for more Christian influence in the culture as a non-Messianic Jew. I, 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 I'm trying to remember his name, but do you remember this interview? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and so here's a non-Messianic Jew calling for more Christian influence in the culture. That's what I mean by intellectually inspired by it. You may not, you may not, maybe you don't think Jesus walked out of that tomb. But you are honest enough to look at history and see that the ideas that, uh, that, uh, that he spawned and the people that he inspired who do believe that have made one terrific, big of a better difference in the world as a result of that belief system. Right. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So either you are directly inspired, you're converted, you have you think his spirit lives in you or you are intellectually inspired and think that in general, the like Ben Franklin. Okay. Hey, I think the greatest moral code I've ever, you know, I've ever uncovered as a thinker is the teachings of Jesus Christ, whether you're intellectually inspired. The idea that embedding these things into the framework of a society creates a better society and one that will inspire other society uh, societies to be better than their just most basic craven instincts. That is something that hell said, oh, hell no, we cannot have that. We cannot have that. Because as Nefarious points out later in this book, anything at all, no matter what it is, anything at all that inspires us to rise above our basic, craven, sinful nature at any point in time, hell is against. Does that answer your question? Yes. So along those lines, I think that's a good macro view of this, of, of the, of this chapter. And, and just, by the way, if you've not read this book yet, the introduction does well, but especially in chapter one, you are introduced very quickly to the character, Nefarious, in a way that's not easily done on a spoken word format like this one, but just um, the style and linguistics that are used, I guess you could say, uh, not even spelling out God's name, not capitalizing God's name, not even saying Jesus's name, instead referring him to the carpenter. That's something that I think you'll be fascinated by, not necessarily enjoy if you've not read the book. But my question for you, and it's really a maybe two or three part question, Steve, I believe this is the crux of this chapter, this very first chapter, when Nefarious says, my special forces demon unit did everything it could to derail this train, but nothing worked. For example, we thought we had your constitutional convention bogged down at egos and bureaucracy until one of the least religious of your founding fathers came out of nowhere to call for prayer to, quote, the Father of Lights. We knew we were doomed from that point forward. Some days I really hate you-know-who. So, one, do you think that my assessment that this is kind of the crux of this chapter mm-hmm. is correct? And two, you've already gotten into this a little bit from kind of a 5,000 or 10,000 foot view. We all know that this is only a result of God's good grace, but what one factor do you believe playing out in that time, at that time, what one factor do you believe has the most to at play, I guess you could say, or deserves the most credit of God's grace for setting up this type of dynamic? I think, and by the way, back to what Todd said really quick, that line where Nefarious reveals is actually in this chapter, I just remembered. Anything that, Nefarious, quote, anything that calls for you bags of meat, 
to rise above your base nature of selfishness and vanity, we oppose with all of our might down here. And that's why what I would call and Christianity would call a false religion like Islam, that's why you're now a bunch of white supremacists because you would dare go to that Michigan school board and say, we want our kids taught better than groomed for pedophiles. Doesn't matter. At that point in time, you're anything, anything that causes us to look beyond ourselves and at ourselves and to something better and bigger than ourselves. Hell is against that, no matter the orthodoxy at any given period of time, period. And, 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 to the, and, that, and that brings me back now to your question, Aaron. I, I really don't think that, right, we believe that God is unchangeable, Okay, the same. Yes, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today uh, and tomorrow. I don't think it's anything that God did differently or has done differently where this nation is concerned. I think it's that the culture is different today than it was then. In their day, the biggest intellectual debate. Remember, we are. You know, the declaration is ratified 1776. Darwin's origin of species isn't going to be published till 1859. So we're almost, that's almost 100 years. And it's not really origin. There's been so much fixation on origin of species. The reality, though, it's the less focused successor, descent of man, that is truly the doctrines of demons. This is where, where, where Darwin goes beyond, I'm just asking questions to, yeah, now I've got some answers, okay? This is where Darwin goes beyond. It's just, why are you, why are you guys afraid of scientific inquiry? To, I've got a, I got a new religion for you. I got a new school for you. And a lot of the worst ideas that exist in Western civilization, civilization today were birthed out of Thomas Malthus and Darwin's Descent of Man and, and everything else that has come thereafter have essentially just been people's own riffs or iterations or takes on them. They weren't tempted by any of this stuff in their day. This was not mainstream thought in their day. The, the, the mainstream debate that they had in their day was about the direct involvement, sovereignty, and goodness of God. Right? Some of you have been taught a lot of your founders were deists. They weren't. But let's just even go with that because it makes my point for me. What is a deist? A deist is someone who believes God exists, but he's basically a kid with an anthill. You know, he's just sitting there watching the ants on the hill. He has the power to move them. He's got the power to incinerate them. He's got the power to leave them crumbs of food to feed them. But he's just disinterested. You know, maybe every now and then he'll turn around and, you know, pay attention to what uh, these ants are doing, scurrying around the anthill. Maybe he'll, you know, capriciously decide either to leave crumbs of food or stomp them out or incinerate them with a magnifying glass. But he's just not directly interested on a, on a regular basis. He's a impassioned, passive third party. So even those who were making such arguments, we're still debating the premise of a biblical worldview. You may not accept the premise of a biblical worldview. You may not believe in a personal sovereign God who, as Benjamin Franklin said, governs the affairs of men. You may not believe in that, but you were going to be forced to debate that premise if you did not. 
that premise is not even introduced in our day and age. We are debating in our day and age the goodness and rightness and perfectionability of man. The debate in our day and age is all the elevation and glorification of man. Even many of the debates that we make on our side against them is from their premise. That's why when I started this show, it was with the hopes of doing for a biblical worldview what Rush Limbaugh did for conservatism. To bring back the old magic, to bring back the old time religion, to let the line out of its cage because it'll defend itself just fine. So if you preached falsely, if you taught falsely, if, if you had uh, heretical or, or heterodoxical views, like, like a Thomas Paine in the founding era of the country was forced to fit his own heterodoxical framework within the confines and constraints of a biblical worldview. Otherwise, he was not going to get standing. He couldn't preach liberty for liberty's sake. He couldn't be Reason Magazine. You know what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. He couldn't be Ayn Rand in that era. That era wouldn't tolerate it. He tried, actually, wrote a book along those lines, gave it to Benjamin Franklin, thinking the least religious of the founding fathers would absolutely, but the most intellectually respected, would absolutely signed off on it. Franklin came back and told him, this is basically a doctrine of demons. Don't you dare publish it. It's garbage. It'll lead us down the road to perdition. That's actually much of, quote-unquote, conservative thought today. We're basically good... We can do this without God. We can have um, pansexual, vegan, uh, lizard people too, as Aaron likes to put it, provided they vote Republican. We're just accepting all of their premises. And those of us who don't often aren't advancing our premise. We're negotiating our own little private Idaho, our own little sanctuary where we can still believe in the old ways as, as basically a forbearance, not as an advancement. So in their day and age, the debate always centered around who is God? How involved is God? What, directly, what does God directly demand of us? And you can see this in, again, their agreed upon writings. We, we call upon the supreme ruler of the universe, all right, the, for the, to judge us by the rectitude of our actions, the laws of nature and nature's God. Over and over again, an acknowledgement that there is a God, there is an ultimate arbiter. The dominant view of the day would be the Judeo-Christian view of the Bible. But did I say unanimous view of the day? Is that what I said? No. No, I said dominant. So were there other views? Sure. Sure. But, the, but, but those debates, those other views, were going to be debated within that box. Okay? We're the home team there. We're going to win that argument. All right? Because we've got all the best ones. All right? We're playing on the road now. We're the road team now. We're now debating the goodness of man. The perfectionability of man. And that's how beliefs become facts. Truths become feelings. Reality becomes not what's real, but what I think re reality ought to be. Thirty years ago, Rush Limbaugh wrote one of the greatest nonfiction bestsellers in the history of American publishing, The Way Things Ought to Be. 
And it was an entire tome. I was very formative for me in the, in the formation of my own politics at the time. It was basically an entire tome, chapter by chapter, looking at the issues of the day, calling America back to reality, to the laws of nature and nature's God. 30 years later, the other side would write books called The Way Things Ought to Be, and it would be calling people to emotion, feelings, desires, because what has changed in this last generation? Rush and boomers were raised by the last generation in America that still collectively believed in some morsel of the paradigm the country was founded on. That's why there are boomers in this audience who believe very strongly and fight very hard for that paradigm and get mad when we talk about how the boomer generation wrecked the country. Can I ask a more targeted question on that? Because we yeah. only have so much time. That bedrock you're talking about in this chapter said it was informed by not two things exclusively, but you highlight two things with specific definitions, Reformation, Renaissance. Mm-hmm. At the end of this chapter, he's, saying, he's telling you, game over. Those things either were defeated and or failed. Specifically address both two. Sure. What happened? Because the best of those two things... The best of those two things, here's what they did. The Renaissance promoted and advanced the idea of the pursuit of beauty and enlightenment and human flourishing. The Protestant Reformation gave it a boundary and framework to determine what is beauty and human flourishing. Where does it come from? How do we know what it is? Is the the McKee de Sade beauty and flourishing? Is he beauty and flourishing? In our day and age, the answer is yes, he is. In their day and age, he was a criminal. Because he didn't get to determine what was beauty and flourish and human flourishing. Who determined beauty and human flourishing? Who created beauty? Who created humans? God. What did the Protestant Reformation make more accessible to people than ever before in the history of the world? The word of God. The publishing of it in virtually every known language in the world, for example. The the spread of it to every place in, uh, in the world that it had not gone previously. And so now we're, we're back at, we're in this framework again. Okay. We're still having all the same debates that human beings have always had. We're still having all the same ones. I mean, Alexander Hamilton was nearly brought down by an adulterous affair, right? Different era though. So it was looked at and viewed the total was total depravity. Not true in the 18th century. Of course it was. Was God the same then as he is today? Yes, he was. What has changed is how we as societies interpret those two realities or even acknowledge them at all. We're not in this box anymore. We're in this other box over here. And so every, so even when we recognize God, it is we bow a knee, we take a knee for Damar Hamlin. And all the sports writers say, that's a great job. Thank you for praying. Next week, a hockey, the very next week, a hockey player refuses to wear the ribbon. And those same exact sports writers say, take your Christianity and get the hell out of the country. Why? Because they understand that their religion is the one we're playing in now. They have hegemony now. So we're playing in their box. That Russian hockey player dared to say, actually, I'm going to stay in this box over here. No, you don't. You don't get to do that. Get the hell out. So everything, your blackness, 
your your religion, your sexuality, any form of your uh, your identity or individual expression or belief system must be must be interpreted and affirmed by this box over here, the Spirit of the Age box, not the one that the West was originally founded on. Three non-political questions are next. Remember our friends at Eden Pure with their outstanding thunderstorm air purifier that uh, a lot of you tried last year and got uh, great results from and let me know about it. Uh, Same thing. I I tried it myself in our home, uh, put it to the test. I saw firsthand what it could do. Uh, Even my buddy Mike, who is farting incarnate once a month when we have poker night, man, we were even able to cage his bowels. All right. So if the thunderstorm air purifier can put a cage around my buddy Mike's gastrointestinal issues, and I am pretty confident, extremely so, in fact, uh, that it can tackle whatever's going on in your home or place of office right now. Uh, they sell them in packs of three, and you can get all three for under 200 bucks. That's way below uh, their market competition. That's inferior, by the way. And they throw in free shipping, too. So packs of three and free shipping for under 200 bucks. So you can put one on every level of your home, put two in your home, one in your garage, two in your home, one in your home office, whichever you prefer. Uh, just use the code Steve3 to get that discount with the free shipping. Code Steve3 for free shipping and three units under 200 bucks. Code Steve3 when you go to EdenPureDeals.com. Once again, that's Eden puredeals.com. It's time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, three hopefully good non-political questions. I thought of them ahead of the uh, actual segment, which means they're probably even worse than they normally are. (laughs) First question. I made a statement similar to this on Twitter that got a few people very angry with me. I'm going to ask this question, provide a definition, and then you can answer. Are agnostics intellectually cowards? Agnostic, I'm using the actual classic definition Somebody who believes the existence of God cannot be known. I know if you Google agnostic, it'll say somebody who's asking questions. No, that's a skeptic or seeker. Or if you're asking questions with the intent to troll or otherwise embarrass, that's a scoffer. I'm talking about the classical definition of agnostic. Is right, that I intellectual think, cowardice? I think that's a key distinction then. All right. If, we're, if that is how you want to define agnostic. And that's how Webster's of 1900s or okay. would dis- describe it. So, if, so we are defining agnostic as someone who believes that the ultimate truth cannot be known one way or the other, then yes, I would agree that that is gutless. Okay. Um, what it, and here's why. What question is possibly more important ascertaining the answer to than that one like think of all the questions in the world why would you give up on that one and not others like i've heard people say in the past well i got mistreated at church maybe even badly that's terrible right 
that terrible? You ever been dumped by a chick or a dude? You ever been dumped before? Ever had your heart broken? Ever not get a job that you wanted or got fired from one? Did you decide, I got fired from that job. It wasn't fair. I will not work again. No more jobs. I got dumped by that chick. I got cheated on by that dude. Syllabacy for me now. A lot of people don't make that choice, do they? A lot of people are like, I guess I still like money. A lot of people are like, huh, I guess I still like sex. Notice that? You ever notice that? Somehow, when it comes to the church, if I got hurt once uh, or disappointed once, even seriously, that's all she wrote. But on other things, you know, I get canned from a job. I can get uh, dumped by a dude, cheated on by a chick. After a while, the loins and the hormones, hormones kick in and you're like, I'm ready to be hurt again. How come the church doesn't get that benefit of the doubt? Similarly, you're, you want to explore, you're on your seventh reading of the Similarian. Because you really do need to know the true origins of the orcs. And you really, you've got to find out who, all right, Sauron came from Morgoth. Where'd Morgoth come from? You need to know. You've got to know. So you're reading it again. But whether or not God exists just couldn't possibly be known. So if we're going with that definition of agnostic, then yes, I agree that it is gutless. If that's the definition. I like where you ended there because that's what really bothers me. Uh, these these people who will claim that about ultimate things in the real life that they actually have, when it comes to their fictional life, the the superheroes they love, you know, whatever, Star Wars, uh, as you said, um, uh, uh, Sauron and the, the Lord of the Rings, or with uh, sports and knowing every jot and tittle of... The, the draft picks are instant replay. Like, you, uh, the, the need for ultimate... We have to get this right. Mm -hmm. you, you can see it moves every pore of their being mm -hmm. in their hobby craft. But when it comes yeah. to their real... I love, that. I love that term, by the way. Their but real yeah. life. It's like, yeah... I gotta tap out. This is just... I find it tedious. Really? You don't... You don't find the color-coded rapture chart that isn't actually for the real rapture, but it's for the fictional one in that universe you follow? <laughs> you can't get enough of that. You've got to know the ultimate things of the unreal. But the real, meh, that's, that, yeah, that's cowardly. I mean, if you are, if you're showing that level of apathy and cowardice in the rest of your life, actually, I respect you more. <laughs> <laughs> Um, That's good. Yeah, I, I think it's just intellectually cowardly. I mean, nobody really, at the end of the day, believes there is no God. I, there, there, I agree. The, there, there has never been an atheist in the history of humanity. Yeah, ever. no, even atheists, I mean, e atheists are a God unto themselves. Yes. What gets me, at least, at least in atheism, though, even if you won't admit it, you are your own God. Now you're a terrible god. You're you're going to be a sucky god because you know human beings have been known to suck, right? I don't get agnosticism though. I'm not even going to admit that I'm. I'm not even going to uh, go into the uh, worldview where I can at least I can at least be my own god, little small g god. 
Indeed. Like Luther I, would say, if you're going to sin, sin boldly. What is the point of being an and, agnostic? And the, Go the, all the way with it. The reason is yeah. there might be a power above me, but I, it's above my pay grade to know what that it just doesn't make any sense. I, I think at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're, you ask somebody, well, why not just be full on atheist? Well, there might be a God. Well, how do you know that to be true? Or what makes you think that? And we're off. It doesn't make any sense. What makes you think that the God that there might, what do you think that, what makes you think the God that there might or may not be, if he is, or there is, would, would, you would satisfy them by never acknowledging them the entire time you were alive? What, what, how would you, why would you possibly think I could satisfy, hey, I want to go full atheist just in case. Okay. What makes you think that never acknowledging that God would please them in any way, shape, it's, or form. Especially as you, sa- uh, you said. Any God. In our conversation off air, just in the segment, we, we are, the spirit dwells in us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. As it's believers, that, it does. Yes. Yeah, as, yes, as, as a believers, it does. But they're, you know, they're constantly being exposed to the lives of believers. And what yeah. we say about this, yeah. there's no prickling curiosity about that we're, we're we're not we're talking uh, we're talking you know existentially philosophically we can we can do that we it's not we're not pounding you over the head with pillars of cloud uh and 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 pillars of fire you, the, even when we go onto their terrain and indwelling which they you know they, they, Freud, they they'll They'll talk your ear off about Sigmund Freud, uh, about uh, uh, Sartre, about uh, you know all that stuff. Okay, you want to get we're as Christians really we're like you want to get nuts, let's get nuts. And this I think coming full circle to Aaron's point, I think this is their to all that this is their defense mechanism. We as Christians are always willing to meet them where they're at on this. And that drives them nuts. So this is their little escape valve. That they're just kind of too cool for school. Well said. Question number two. Switching gears. Is this the best hot stove offseason we've had in recent memory in baseball? And who was the biggest winner and loser? Gosh, I have to confess, I have I've not followed it at all. Seems like I'm hearing I, something I, I, big I, like every single week. I have, I, I have no hope in my Tigers right now. And I'm so busy with other stuff that if the team just isn't any good and they're not, I have just not followed it at all. So I, I can't render a verdict. I'm sorry. I'm like baseball, you know, was your relationship. It's complicated. Uh, it's not even complicated. It was not. It's, it's pretty much. I don't care. I just, I just don't care. The I've Georgia written, thing was kind of like your last straw. I really... Well, I really moved on. I it's and it's not. I feel I, I was on. For people who are new in this show, yeah, explain to them what that. I mean, this is a major part of your life. Yeah, I mean, you went to umpire school. I went to umpire school. Yeah, I. Um, I mean, I really wanted. Uh, I knew graduating from college, the first thing I was going to do was go to umpire school, and I did, and I uh, was. Um, of the handful selected to actually get a job. And I did that for one year. 
Um, I ended up getting invited back and I just, then I wanted to move on with the other things in my life, wanted to ultimately wanted a family and things like that. But it's, it's when we talk about like, gentlemen, this is a football. Well, you know, that's, you know, baseball. It just, my, my memories, my, my relationship with my brother, with my family, it's, it, it's, um, I mean, you, Ken Burns baseball, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that's, that's secular religion to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, the rhythms of the game and now i find it tedious and that's why when i talk about you know instant replay didn't start in baseball but now that it got there you know and we are we're we're at triple a level which is here in des moines we are now going to have the robot umpires um my goodness i mean the the, the almost accidental perfection of the distances of it's not it's a it's a team sport like football basketball hockey but it's the, those are all kind of the same militant my side your side crash into each other get the ball to the you know baseball's different the the, the defense actually is the one that has the ball not the offense the, the the bases think about how different it would be if the bases were a little shorter or a little distant i mean it's like they they just found this almost cosmic perfection uh in a game that um tested us in the way that the other sports do but it had that kind of that pastoral come on everybody come out to the ball game feel the dreams lays this all out you know and it's the just, one constant through all the years yeah. ray has been baseball yeah, yeah. and you it just i have no heartbeat it should be especially with all the the things that are going on in this world, it should still be an escape for me. Um, but it's, it, it, it's, it's also it's, exceedingly difficult in Iowa when the only local, local team we can watch around here is the White Sox. I, I can't tell you the last time I watched a Royals or Cardinals game hmm. or a Twins game for that matter. Before we get to the final question, remember, friends, everywhere you look, you are seeing the systemic destruction of our way of life. So if you're thinking when it comes to the supply chain where food is concerned, that could never happen here. How many times have we said this could never happen here in the last couple of years? And it absolutely happened. Make sure you're prepared in case that it could never happen here happens. Uh, go to our friends over at uh, MyPatriotSupply.com right now. Save 200 bucks per food kit on their three-month emergency supply. 2,000 plus calories a day, up to a 25-year shelf life. It includes breakfast, lunch, dinner, even snacks and drinks. All right? And all of it made right here in the USA. And you can take that 200 bucks off per kit. Not like your entire order. That'd be cool. It's actually 200 bucks off per kit plus free shipping, all right, when you go to MyPatriotSupply.com. Again, head over to MyPatriotSupply.com. Final question, question number three, and please, for the love of Built Bars and Bonner Private Wine, listen very closely because I'm only going to say this once. (laughs) Would you rather run a marathon, but you only have 10 days to train, you can't wear shoes, but it's guaranteed you won't get anything like sharp metal objects or anything stuck in your feet. The first 14 miles are on asphalt. The next 10 are in the forest, and the final two are on gravel. You win absolutely nothing. You get no medal, and you're absolutely not recognized. Would you rather do that or go into a room with Lindsey Graham for one it. hour? I know it. Get knocked out. You have no idea what's happening. At the end of this hour, you walk out with one billion tax-free dollars, 
in Lindsey Graham has gone mute. The former. Not even... You might really be fired this time because it is very disturbing the amount of detail you put into that question and thought through. Very disturbing. I just... I knew one of you was going to try to find an out somewhere and I was not going to give you that. All right. I'd absolutely take the billion dollars. I don't remember anything. You don't remember anything? He can't Listen, talk man, about it. Listen, man, I have been getting raped and sodomized by members of this government <laughs> for the last 30 <laughs> years. Okay? It's about time I get some money back. I'll take my billion. Thank you very much. I'm uncomfortable. See, I knew Todd was going to say that, because you still kind of run a little bit, don't you? You jog? A little bit. But even if I didn't, even if I you had, take even if I had no legs, <laughs> I'm fucking on my hands, man. <laughs> I'm taking my billion dollars. The amount of damage that I could then do, I mean, I I I would remove him in the next primary with the kind of money I would now have. I mean, the Republican Senate caucus in the United States would look dramatically different in the very next cycle. I could probably buy. 10, 15, 20 state legislatures in America on top of all of that. Yeah. Give me, give me America. I'm willing to do and take that sacrifice for you. Give me that arsenal. Absolutely. And I will punish them with it. Todd, there's no guarantee anything will happen with Lindsey Graham. It's just, you don't remember it. That's right. You can't talk about it. That's not the way to look at it. There's no guarantee it won't. Yeah, but there's no guarantee. There's a guarantee that I won't be remembering it. I will, though, be having a billion dollars. Take him and many like him out, which I will. I'll take him out. Do not do evil. That good may come of it. I'm not doing any evil. It may may or may not be being done to me. Okay? And then I will then take what I was given for what was or maybe wasn't done to me. And I will make them wish my daddy wore a condom that night with what I will do with that money. I think... um it's tempting. I'm going with the marathon, though. Wow. I was the only one that said, let's wage war. The rest of you are like, I'd rather just put myself that's through a living a, hell. That's a nice spin you just <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only cool one in the room. I'm the only one that cares about America. I have a girlfriend in whatever place with the waterfall. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.